politics without the soap opera with unfiltered constitutional conservative truth. The Conservative Review with Daniel Horowitz. And welcome back, fellow American patriots and Miniman to the one and only CR podcast. This is your host, Daniel Horowitz, back in the house. Friday, we love Fridays here. It is the 28th of May, headed into Memorial Day weekend. And we are really looking forward, not just to the weekend, but to meeting those of you who are brave enough to join me at Front Sight Nevada in the 100-degree heat. Look, it's kind of cooler at night, but it is going to be pretty hot. Our defensive handgun training with ConstitutionCoach.com, really looking forward to that. Uh, We still have June 6th uh, dates available. Um, Folks, yesterday's show, if you haven't heard it yet, this is Thursday, May 27th. Um, It is a thriller. We had a Holocaust survivor on the show basically making Marjorie Taylor Greene's comments seem like child's play. She believes the parallel between the Holocaust and and COVID fascism is more apt than you think. So we have that going on there. And folks, you know, just to continue along those lines today, we got to strike while the iron is hot. I've said this before. But the main problem we always have is that even in the rare instance when we finally gain momentum and everything the left does on a very consequential policy is proven to be false. I mean, it was always false, but people start to get it. We walk away from it because we think it's over. But what we fail to understand is it's not over. They created that precedent. And the next time they're just going to start from there once again. You have to cut it out. You have to act strongly and decisively when you can. The problem is the Republican Party, and by extension the conservative movement, is not about action. It's all about talking points. So if the talking point is over with, they'll move on to the next one. There's never any desire to actually act while we have an opportunity to make a difference. And that's what we're looking to do with our ConAction teams. You could sign up at ConAction.network. We're very close to launching our new website, which will be a .com website, where we're going to have standing teams in 30 or so states to fight the issues that matter, when they matter, how they matter. Timing is critical. I'm going to be pushing with our special sessions coming up for redistricting, an agenda that hopefully we can get through, certainly by next session next year. County governments are always convening. You don't need to wait for a specific time in most places. Getting involved in sheriffs, county judge, county executive, county council, commissioner, whatever they're called, school board, and creating bastions of liberty and Judeo-Christian values in the areas we can. The country is lost as it once existed. But we need to create safe, secure, and free areas. And the more they're like that, the more people will move to them. And the more it will become a thing with states pushing back against the feds. And the more it will lead to the ultimate solution, which we really do need, is a self-separation. 
There's a story today I want to share with you that shows the key to this blueprint. But speaking of safe areas, folks, in the times we live with, with government not protecting you, I don't need to tell you, you need to protect yourself and certainly own a gun, but carry one in the areas you can, which is most of the country. But people often forget in the clamor to buy a firearm and ammo that you really do need a quality holster. Those of you who are going to be out with me on next week's trip, you're going to see a proper draw. You know, to make that proper draw and presentation, two shots to the chest within 1.8 seconds or, you know, up to two and a half seconds, depending on how far you are away from the target, that begins with a proper gun belt and a gun holster. Well, We The People Holsters makes the best gun belts and holsters for the cheapest cost, all-American made, custom design, starting at just $40. Their propriety clip design allows you to adjust both the cant and the ride. It's comfortable and secure at all times. Go to wethepeopleholsters.com slash CR. And while you're there, again, check out their hoodies. They have good, you know, cool t-shirts. Um, and certainly their EDC tactical gun belts. Every holster and gun belt comes with a lifetime guarantee. Wethepeopleholsters.com slash CR. Get an additional $10 off with offer code CR. So that could get you down to close to 30 bucks. Wethepeopleholsters.com slash CR. Make sure your gun is actually secure with a top-notch holster. Okay, folks. Now, we do have a lot of crime stories I hope to get to, but I don't know how long this is going to take me. This is a great story. This is probably the most remarkable thing I've ever seen in politics. And I'm not, I'm not exaggerating here. And there are so many things to unpack. The location of where it took place why that matters, who did it, how it speaks to what is lacking in the phony conservative movement. The problem we have is that everyone wants to get our attention. They run in a primary. Look here, I'm conservative. I'm pro-life. I'm pro-gun. I'm for low taxes. Maybe now they'll say, oh, you know, we need to end lockdowns or something in broad terms. But they never do what specifically needs to be done at the time it needs to be done. So yesterday, I did not have a heads up, by the way. She texted me after she did this, but she didn't want it to leak. Those of you who haven't heard, the lieutenant governor that we had on this show a week ago, Janice McGeehan, Idaho Lieutenant Governor, she issued an executive order yesterday, you know, in the morning, effective immediately, barring all localities and specifically specifying school boards and children from implementing a mask mandate anywhere in the state. Now, The first question many of you would ask, hey, Daniel, this is Idaho. I didn't know they were wearing masks. Well, they were. Just because there wasn't a statewide mandate, in every population center like Boise, they had it, and in almost all the schools, they had it, even in rural areas, like every other state. But number two, everyone's thinking, what do you mean? What do you mean the lieutenant governor issued an order? How does the lieutenant governor issue an order? I don't know how many states have this, and I'm not so familiar with the arrangement, 
typically, you know, with the president and and I think with most governors, he has to be incapacitated or delegate the authority. But evidently in Idaho, if the governor, in this case, Brad Chicken Little, the rhino, steps out of the state, he was attending the Republican Governors Association meeting in Nashville. So if he is not in the state physically, pursuant to the state's constitution, lieutenant governor automatically becomes acting governor. And typically, you know, no one even notices this happens. It's not a big deal. Janice McGeehan didn't just talk, doesn't just run, doesn't just want to vote. She acted, talking about striking while the iron is hot. In the few hours she had as governor, she stood up for our children. She issued an executive order without telling the governor or his staff what she was going to do until it was already done. Masking child abuse is done. It is done in this state. Janice is literally the anti-Republican. All they do is talk and never deliver. She here, she wasn't even governor. She's acting governor for a couple hours and does something that audacious. But I think a lot of people never heard of Janice. They never understood the dynamic in Idaho. So they don't understand just how amazing and just impactful that move is. So I want to properly frame it. A lot of people didn't even know that Janice is challenging that very governor in a primary right now. So it makes it all the more incredible what she did. Right, to begin with, that is an incredible move that is very uncommon for a lieutenant governor that has a promising career in the state legislature, now you're elected statewide. You know, the two senators are getting old. At best, the rhino governor will be term limited after next term. There's a lot of opportunities that she could wait her turn. But for her, unlike most Republicans, this is not about getting elected as an end to itself. It's about accomplishing things. And she realizes that Idaho, there there is an emergency for Idaho to become what the people want it to be, what it should be, and push back against the feds, make it a beacon of freedom. So she decided she was going to challenge him in a primary. Then she becomes acting governor. And she shocked the world by challenging Brad Little in another way by issuing that executive order. Now, there's a couple things that are very important to point out here. First off, the move is more brilliant than you think. You see, if a governor and lieutenant governor or, you know, that's running in a primary, they have a certain black and white agreement, disagreement. You know, you want A, she wants B. So even if you know that the lieutenant governor's move is more popular with the people than your position, you can't let that stand, and you're going to reverse it when you get back. And, and he is back there. He got back late last night. But what was so brilliant is this was the perfect issue because the momentum is in our favor. At the end of the day, she's not officially contradicting him. Right? It's not like he had a statewide mandate and she reversed it. No, there was no statewide mandate. She's not going after him. She's going after the localities. But we all know deep down that Brad Little loves masks. 
totally agrees with it, was never planning on doing what it will actually take to end it on the ground. But when he needs to, you know, bolster his conservative bona fides, like we saw with Bill Lee, and this is true of almost all the Republican governors, he's like, oh, well, I don't have a statewide mass mandate, which is meaningless. It's meaningless. So what this move did was brilliantly draw him out. Okay, you're right. So we're making sure that, you know, if adults don't have to, certainly kids don't, right? So now Brad Little comes back and he's got a big problem. Now look, as of this recording, it might change. I don't know his reaction, but I will tell you he's in a very tough position. Because if he goes full frontal assault and reverses it, it's not just maybe you'll get primaried. She is already primarying him. You're talking about Republican primary voters in the state of Idaho at this stage of fatigue with the mask fascism, particularly aimed at children. Not exactly a good move. On the other hand, if he lets it go, she just took his cojones and ran with it. He's completely buck naked. Like, what does he do? So I don't know if he's going to find like a certain provision to tweak, to save face, or just ignore it. I don't know. But it was a brilliant maneuver. I have never heard of anything like this. And that really speaks to her character and what we're lacking. All these pseudo-intellectual conservatives, they talk, yeah, this is wrong. Masks don't work. Low taxes, uh, pro-life. But they don't do it when they have the freaking opportunity. Here she was an acting governor for five freaking hours or maybe 10 hours with no mandate whatsoever. And she delivers. That, my friends, is a primary challenge. That is a shot across the bow of what Idaho can and should look like were she to become the gubernatorial nominee next year and become governor of what should be the gem state. The gem. There's so much good culture there. So many good Californians who are conservative are moving there. That could be our stand. The whole greater Idaho movement. It starts with Janice becoming governor, pushing back against the feds, finally making the state Senate more conservative. Then all the surrounding counties of Washington, Oregon, Northern California will start this trend of moving. I know Barbara, Barbara Eart is the committee chair of the House committee there that's overseeing the greater Idaho movement. This is a serious movement. And then not only could we make Idaho the first truly red state, but dare I say, maybe a greater Idaho becoming a new country. There's a number of lessons to glean from here. Number one, too many of us, including including myself and, and, and some of my colleagues for years, we always undersell our abilities. We think, oh, this is not politically feasible. We don't dream big. It's not true. We live in an era of reality TV of people don't take subtleties. They take strong action. That's what they gravitate to. People are very inconsistent. They'll gravitate to far left strong power plays and far right strong power plays. 
That's how the left gets away with what they do. But there's another similar but subtle point to that. And that is, we often think we have to build a narrative and build and build and build. And, and, and by the way, it's important to do that no matter what. And debate, cross your T's, dot your I's. But sometimes it's better just to do. The left takes an earth-shattering hundred-year fight and they just do it. Illegally, immorally, they just do it. They didn't have a debate over, now we are going to make people wear masks. They just did it. So the more you do it, it proves the veracity of your view. Now, it doesn't actually. It shouldn't. But it does in the minds of the people. Because people can't believe that something could actually be done if it doesn't have legitimacy to. Because you wouldn't do it. (laughs) See, that's how you benefit from the fruit of your crime. The left does this all the time. So Janice McGeehan was the ultimate example of this. Oh, we really need to move towards not masking kids. No, she just does it. And she did it in the most spectacular way. Imagine if she were actually the real governor for four years. So this is an unbelievable lesson of what we've been lacking in politicians And what we need to be looking for. On paper, in a primary in a red state, they broadly indulge our issues. But they don't do anything about it and have no intention of doing it. I want you guys to go to JaniceForIdaho.com. That is her website. And donate. Like I've told you, red state gubernatorial primaries, to the extent we can even get quality primary candidates, those are the most important big-ticket elections. You know, obviously in the swing and blue states, we don't even know if we could have fair elections the more we discover with these audits, and I do want to get into that at some point. I know I've been a little bit derelict on that issue. I just haven't had time. But there's more fraud being discovered every day. But the red state gubernatorial primaries is what matters. Obviously, the very local elections matter. But if you want to talk about a big statewide election, it's not senator for for U.S. Senate. It's meaningless. You get governors like Janice McGeehan. And then imagine if you have 10 of them. Then they start working together as, um, you know, our founders wrote, Madison wrote this in the Federalist Papers, in interposition. They work together to push back against the feds. You're much stronger. That's a much bigger check and balance than a rhino majority in the House or Senate in Washington. And the states then start becoming more autonomous and more autonomous. And then things we thought we could never do, we start doing. We start venturing into illegal immigration. Eventually, we need to get to a point where states are deporting illegals. Daniel, is that legal? Is it legal for the federal government to work with the cartels to bring them in and not enforce the laws? No. So we have the right to push back as a state against that. That is the doctrine of least magistrate. That when you have a federal government and most states and most localities that are corrupt as hell and violating the Constitution and natural law and the social compact in every way, we have to latch on to the areas where we can and rebuild from there. 
This is a remarkable story. Another important aspect of this, just so you know, there is a danger in Idaho. There are like four or five other candidates that filed to run. Idaho is not a southern state, so they do not have a runoff. It does not have a runoff. So that means if you have five conservatives running against an incumbent rhino who automatically, because of his name, power, and money, is going to have a certain floor, a vote, you're reelecting him. Now, I don't know many other candidates. I know Ammon Bundy is running. But you got to be stupid when you have an elected lieutenant governor, statewide elected already, that has somewhat of name recognition and has proven herself that much that she was burning her own governor of the same party's mask orders at rallies from day one, you got to be stupid to run another candidate. I mean, this is how we kill ourselves all the time. Now, there is time. I don't mind other people running and, you know, if they're really mean, you know, selfless and they want to push other ideas. But ultimately, when the time comes closer, you have to, you can't have when the ballot registration deadline comes, you cannot have other names on that ballot. Makes no sense. So that is something we're going to watch. But this is what it means by seizing the opportunity. Oh, Daniel, it's good enough. The masks are coming down. No, there is not a shred of legitimacy to a shred of COVID tracking, tracing, fascism, and masking, or quarantining, or anything ever, and certainly not at this point. And if you're truly a red state, and you have the momentum, you need to do everything you can to uproot it. Which is why, again, most states are going to have a special session for redistricting in August or September. We need to start with our Liberty Strike Force teams to meet with the conservatives to create an agenda and say, look, take care of your redistricting, but we're going to stay for an extra few days, and we're going to have a never-again bill to codify into law that none of this could ever happen again. I, I wrote an article, which is an outline of what the, the legislation would look like. We need a bill preventing businesses from requiring masking or vaccines. And we need a bill to enable the state legislature or a committee of the legislature when they're out of session to make to criminalize the enforcement of any federal law or edict that violates the Constitution. The more you do that, the more secession will become a reality. The reason we don't have secession now is because we have nothing to secede with. Because the red state governments are in with it. That's the problem. Everyone's like, Texas needs to become independent. And the problem is, you look at the Texas legislature, it's pathetic. They're leftists. Who's going to do the secession? We need to make red states red again, state legislatures great again. Then you get more people like myself who live in neighboring blue states to come live there. And you know what? The chips will fall into place. You know, um, very evidently. So this Janice McGeehan story is, is truly unbelievable. 
striking while the iron is hot. Standing up to bat. Rising to the occasion, to the moment that you are accorded by God. And not being bashful about it. Don't doubt me. When I promote someone, I know what I'm talking about. Um, she will not disappoint. She really has the guts. Again, that, that, that tells you something. Don't tell me you're a conservative. Show me. And when you're a lieutenant governor and you're willing to basically shadow box the governor every step of the way of the same party, that's something we don't see very often, if at all. But folks, again, we do have to realize this fight is not over. This fight is not over. There was a very ominous tweet put out by an individual named Scott Gottlieb yesterday. Now, you might be wondering who that is. Well, Scott Gottlieb is the de facto mouthpiece of Big Pharma. If you want to know what they're planning, what the healthcare fascist public health tyranny is planning, follow Scott Gottlieb's Twitter feed because he'll tell you. He was uh, the FDA administrator under um, Obama and basically a big loudmouth with COVID fascism that's all over, all over cable news. They bring him on as the, as the expert of, of all things. And, you know, in the background, he's really advising and agitating with the new administration. And he tweeted out yesterday something very scary. Could we see a resurgence in infections that haven't been circulating as widely during COVID? RSV trends in kids raise concerns. Or could epidemiology of disease change for better now that many more of us are germ conscious? So basically, these SOBs have no, they, they have no shame. They'll go and say, literally, he was saying two months ago, three months ago, we're going to get wiped out from the B117 variant. And then now that it's over, as signified by the end of the viral interference and the resurgence of RSV and lots of rhinoviruses and um, certain coronavirus colds and, and other respiratory viruses, they're like, they, they, rather than saying, wow, you know what, we were wrong. They seamlessly glide into the next panic porn. Oh my God, we got colds. We're going to die from RSV. And I warned you guys, I said, look, if we were going to accede to this degree of tyranny on children when they had the best year of health of their life, because COVID was nothing for them, but COVID interfered with the things like the flu that do affect them. So they literally got nothing. So what happens is in this country, we have political amnesia. We forget about what happened in life three minutes ago. So by the time the next flu season comes around, it's going to be a novelty. Oh, my God. We got half the class in January wiped out. And this happens every year except for last year. If the new baseline for masking children is this, you could imagine RSV could potentially be dangerous mainly to infants. You know, in the flu, you could have hospitalizations or just, you know, long, drawn-out fevers for sometimes a week or two, even, for, for children of all ages. And we dealt with it. 
But they're peddling this insane lie that the masks somehow boxed it out when literally in his tweet, he's recognizing it was the viral interference. Um, that's why, folks, they are warning you. You don't need me. They are saying they are going to institute public health tyranny for the flu. So now is the time when we're kind of in a lull in the summer and we have the momentum. Now is the time to demand never again. In a very specific way that can't be co-opted by phony rhinos, like they co-opt the vaccine passport thing, but then block the effort to legislate where it actually matters, which is on the so-called private businesses. But think about what we've done to our children. Do you know that yesterday the UK Times has an article out talking about this? That in the UK, evidently, not a single child is known to have died from COVID. And what I mean by that is even the few you see what what they said, this is a study that looked at 260 hospitals in England, Wales, and Scotland, and they looked at all the um, patients that were under 19. And what they noted is that every one of them were, were already seriously ill. And the point is, this is not just like the comorbidities we talk about with adults, where it could have definitely been, COVID could have definitely, and with some of them, not all of them, but some of them was definitely a contributing factor. With the children, it's like people forget children do die. People are born half dead. And unfortunately, a lot of them, you know, they they, they die when they're a child. Some die when they're an infant. And every year, there's a certain amount that die. They, that, that's just a fact of life. So a certain percentage of those people that die every year got COVID. There's no evidence that they died from it at all. Meaning there's something inherent about children. Even, even myself, like when this started out, I would have told you if you had kid, a kid that had serious diabetes or certainly like cystic fibrosis, yeah, that kid's going to be really, I mean, because I, I know with the flu, cystic fibrosis, fibrosis is a big deal. I don't. And again, don't quote me on this. I'm saying this academically in a macro sense. Um, but again, these are very rare instances, a tiny percentage of kids, and wouldn't justify locking down all children because we didn't do this for the flu. But even those kids, I really don't think they died from it. Um, you know, if you have you know someone that, let's say, lives until their 30s from cystic fibrosis, they're 5, 10, 15 years old, and it's at least at the moment, it's it's under control with the therapies and everything. You certainly don't want them getting it. I, I don't think they. it's been proven that a number of them have died from it, if, if anyone. It's ones that are just, they were dying, and they just happened to test positive. That, that's mainly what happens. Again, people you could find when you, you, when you deal with such tiny percentages – you could find 5, 10 people, 20, even 100 people in a given year that die from a, a paper cut. I mean, you know, there's anomalies with everything and, and just God's, you know, quirky way of killing someone. And I'm sure this is no different, just like someone could die from the cold. 
But even the numbers that are put out, most of them did not die from that. And you see this from this UK study. The standoff at the border is heating up between Texas Governor Greg Abbott and the federal government. Politicians will never let a crisis go to waste. We have been invaded. The crisis is being used by Republicans as a photo op by the Democrats to expand their voting base. More than 85% of everybody reaching the border is coming in. That's the definition of an open border. Just down the road, you can get in no problem, no Humvees, no farm carts. What people don't realize is there's a way around everything. The Blaze Originals team traveled to the Texas border, ground zero of the most controversial news story of 2024. With some experts estimating over 4 million border crossings in 2023 alone, we embedded with the Take Our Border Back convoy to investigate. What if the entire narrative you thought you knew was a lie? Go watch the real story of Texas versus the feds and how the elites use the border crisis against us by visiting realbordercrisis.com and use code TEXAS for $30 off an annual subscription to Blaze TV. But yet, the American Academy of Pediatrics put out a guidance that children should be masked, indoors and outdoors, until they're vaccinated. Until they are vaccinated. Truly, truly sickening. Truly sickening. And folks, I'm sure you saw this yesterday. BBC reporter Lisa Shaw, 44 years old, prime of her life, died from a blood clot after taking the AstraZeneca vaccine. And, and you know, sometimes like things are just statistics, but this is a known person. Just like we think Hank Aaron died from it too. It's a lot more common than they're letting on to be. You extrapolate that to children and their risk from this virus, which is zero. And yes, it is indeed appropriate to apply the Nazi Germany label to what we're doing with them, with both bullying them into getting vaccinated and into masking, which is why I fully support the lawsuits that are designed to put an injunction on not just forcing them to get it, but on the actual distribution of the vaccine for children. You know, for everything else, I'm like, look, you want to take your risk, take it. But I think governments should not advertise it. Um, that's another thing we need to do in the red states. We need to bar funding for advertising it. Everyone knows about it. They can make their own decisions. But for children, we're really taking away their free will because they really are being bullied into it, the schooling and everything. And, you know, we have standards for everything. Do you know how many life-saving experimental things there are that are barred because they feel it's not safe? So to have something for children where the, I mean, it's in statute, the benefits are outweighed by the by the risks. That's the EUA statute. I mean, that that is a mathematical fact. So that is where we are here today. Now, folks, I do have a lot of sundry issues I meant to get to today. Uh, there's a lot going on at the border. We now have news that Border Patrol is being directed not to even pick up those that they see trafficking. So they're engaged in human trafficking. They're pushing the rafts across. They cannot grab them. This is another reason why I'm going to continue pushing with our Liberty Strike Force teams. States need to criminalize human smuggling, 
make that a very tough state crime and grab them on that account. So that way, they're not hitting them up on immigration charges where states can't do it and it has to be handed over to the feds and the feds release them. This is, again, part of our whole theme of making red states red again, pushing back. Um, There's a lot of news. It is crazy. Just because the media doesn't talk about it doesn't mean the crisis at the border isn't worse than it ever is because it indeed is worse than ever. I Again, I feel bad. Like I haven't covered this election uh, fraud. I mean, there's just so much to go over. Um, But I did want to continue our discussion with striking while the iron is hot, hitting COVID fascism while it is down, um, not just walking away from this with a you know partial victory uh, when they're threatening to use this again, and still there's a lot of tyranny in place. We're going to talk about that with our next guest. Um, there also are a lot of crime stories I still have left with jailbreak. Um, you know, there is this story out of Illinois I'm going to write about next week with a white cop again being executed by a black criminal. Uh, point-blank range, and then eventually the cop's partner, who himself was shot by this perpetrator, wound up killing him. And it's gotten to the point in this country now, even when the cop doesn't successfully defend himself and dies, or at least one of them does, they still celebrate the guy. I mean, the, the, the perpetrator's family was on local media talking about what a great guy this person was. And mind you, even before this, he had a massive criminal record, um, domestic abuse and all sorts of things, drugs and and, and gun charges, but that doesn't matter. Now, eventually, the local media did take down that clip, but this is where we're at with this two-tier justice system in this country, Um, the systemic racism that we actually do have in this country, just the exact opposite of what they're making it out to be. Uh, it is it is truly appalling. And again, any candidate who doesn't run on COVID fascism and crime, there's something wrong with them. If they say, I'm pro-life, I'm pro-guns, and I'm for lower taxes, that's bullcrap. Not that I disagree with those things, but it just doesn't speak to where we are um, you know, as, as a nation, but more importantly, in our project to make red states red again. Now, A lot of you are going to ask me, okay, Daniel, you gave me a blueprint for fighting in the red states, but what about the purple states? What about the other states where COVID is not over with, where, you know, we do have mask fascism, maybe not as bad as before, but it's lingering. You have vaccine fascism, and then they're leveraging the masking to force you to get the vaccine in many cases, and they're continuing. Where are the lawsuits? What could we do? So we're going to try to have more um, civil rights attorneys on, the few that are dealing with this, to try to get to the bottom of this. But I wanted to bring back today, just to cap off the week, one of our favorite guests since this has become an issue, uh, Tammy Clark. She is one of our OSHA environmental health and safety experts that we've been having on that understands PPE and respirators and testing requirements and you know industrial hygiene. And she's been, you know, testifying all over the country, both at legislatures and also in courts uh, on the mask issue. She happens to also be the executive director of Stand Up Michigan, terrific organization that has been fighting Governor Whitmer in Michigan. And I wanted to just get a sense of what she's been up against recently. She's had some personal attacks on her by government because of what she was doing. 
um, what's working, what's not, what we could do. Tammy, thanks so much for being our last guest of the week. Yeah, thank you so much for having me on. It's always a pleasure to be with you. Uh, yeah, and I, and I apologize because I got carried away with the first part of my show, and I know we're, we're running a little bit late today. But let's start off with the good news. What What are some good things that are happening in Michigan that you think could be replicated by some of our teams throughout the country? Oh, yeah. So we've been working very hard. As you know, um, we've chatted and I have been on your show before uh, letting everybody know what's going on in Michigan and giving people some tips and some resources and some information to help them fight this fight in their own states. Um, but it has taken us a year, but we have finally just gotten the biggest victory and we have really turned the tide um, with this, like you say, COVID fascism. And we've gotten Governor Whitmer now on the run. And there's been several different things that have been happening um, all at the same time, kind of collaboratively behind the scenes. We at Stand Up Michigan have been working with the legislature. Um, we also have been throwing Governor Whitmer's missteps in her face and not letting letting it go, um, not letting her move past these things. There are several lawsuits that have been filed against her. So that's really key. I like what you mentioned about lawsuits because it's going to take lawsuits. I've been saying this for a year to stop this craziness. Um, and at the same time, she totally overplayed her hand by weaponizing the agencies of my OSHA, Michigan OSHA and the health departments. So if you remember last October, our state Supreme Court ruled that what she was doing by relying on an old outdated law, 1945 law, to override the legislature. And basically, she tried to, well, she has been, unilaterally ruling the state of Michigan as a dictator. Um, the state Supreme Court ruled that that 1945 law she was relying on is unconstitutional. Um, and they told her basically to knock it off and go back and work with the legislature. So what she did, which puts her in contempt of court right now, what she did was she thumbed her nose at the state Supreme Court and she simply pivoted and turned and started doing exactly what she was doing before by bypassing the powers of the legislature, not working with them. And she started weaponizing Michigan OSHA and the Michigan Department of Health and Human Services against the citizens of Michigan. So this tyrant has been ruling this state with an iron fist for a year and we've been fighting against it. But what she just pulled is the way we were able to stop her combined with the other things that I just mentioned. So what people need to understand is as an OSHA expert, I am OSHA credentialed. I have been in the world of environmental health and safety, occupational health and safety for nearly 20 years. I work with the agencies of OSHA, EPA, DOT. So I understand this regulatory world very well. And what she just tried to do is exactly what Governor Kate Brown in Oregon just did. And that was basically to say, we're going to create permanent COVID-19 rules through OSHA. Well, when she, as soon as she put that out, I knew we had her. I knew how to beat her. I knew how to take her down. So basically, a state like Michigan and Oregon that runs their own OSHA program, okay, they're not under the federal rules. It's, it's, there's so much to this. It's so complicated, but I'll try to I'll try to just break it down and make it simple, so that everybody wait, knows wait, how wait, they Tammy, can turn. The federal statute allows states to <clears throat> bypass OSHA if they have their own stuff. Yeah, that's the complicated part. No, they don't actually. And this is where 
when she came out and said, we're going to create permanent OSHA rules in our state, I knew that's how we could take her down because federal OSHA does not have COVID-19 permanent rules. They do not have a COVID standard. President Biden actually told federal OSHA to create one. They didn't do that because they couldn't do that. There was, because basically it's all based on the emergency. There is no emergency. So they could not create a federal COVID-19 standard. What they did do was they created a national emphasis program, which they do all the time. They'll take something that's a high hazard and they will, they'll focus on that for a year. And it's basically a national emphasis program and it only lasts for 12 months. So what they did was they created a COVID-19 national emphasis program. So basically, there is no federal COVID-19 permanent standard. So the individual states that run their own state plan cannot supersede federal OSHA. They cannot create a standard in their state where there is no federal standard. So as soon as she announced that she was going to create a Michigan OSHA permanent COVID-19 standard or mandate, I knew we could take it down in the public comment period. So people were telling me in my career field, oh, don't worry about it, Tammy. She, you know, she can't do that because I was rallying the troops and I was really directing the people in Michigan, the citizens in Michigan to flood that public commentary office with comments, negative comments, because if we can override this in the public commentary period, we can shut it down and it will never go anywhere else. But a lot of people in my profession were telling me we don't need to do that because it's illegal. They can't make a permanent COVID-19 rule because there's no federal rule. And I said, you realize this woman does not care anything at all about the rule of law. 90% of what she's doing is illegal, but she's doing it anyway. Don't think she's not going to try to ram this down our throats. In effect, that's exactly what Kate Brown did in Oregon. So the people in Oregon should be up in arms because what they just did is totally illegal cannot do it, can't be done. And yet these liberals, they just, they think they can do whatever they want. They never get prosecuted there. Nobody ever holds them accountable. And so they just do it. So what's going on in Oregon right now is egregiously illegal, violates every federal standard. It violates the OSHA Act of Congress. And that's how they can take it down. So you're saying aside from all the other angles of, of cause of action that we've been pushing, just that the whole masking and vaccination, it violates human rights, it violates uh, OSHA standards to begin with in terms of what is proper PPE. It, um, right. And, and it, you know, it, it, it violates a balance, an interest balancing test. It violates EUA, both on the mask EUA and the um, you know, vaccine EUA. You're saying just procedurally, they don't have that power to bypass federal OSHA with their own standards. And and you're saying that is how Kate Brown in Oregon went ahead with mandating vaccine passports. Yeah, they just did it anyway, even though it's illegal, but she just did it. And that's what we're seeing happen. It's been happening for years. Uh, The Democrats, it's, it's like they know it's wrong. They know it's illegal, but they just do it. And because we're not holding them accountable because our judicial system has been so corrupted, it's been very difficult to stop them, even though we know it's wrong, it's illegal. It's going to take massive lawsuits. And, and, and so, you know, I've talked with a lot of attorneys about um, a mass you know, lawsuit or is it going to be a tort, you know, mass tort claim? I mean, what's the best way to go about this? 
So we do need good attorneys to step up, constitutional attorneys. We need labor attorneys to step up at this point because what they're also doing now. So we went, I went from my emails and my inbox, my messages, just blowing up with messages about, please help me. I'm being forced to wear a mask. And that was the fight that I've been in for the last year. Yep. Now it's gone to here, here, here I am now with my inbox just being flooded again with people help me. I'm being discriminated against because I'm not getting vaccinated. I recognize this is not a vaccine. It's gene therapy. So I refuse to do it. Now I'm being singled out in my workplace and I'm being asked directly, are you fully vaccinated? If not, you still have to wear your mask. If not, you can't work here. So now this is the fight we're going into now. They're using this to still keep people masked up or to segregate them, to discriminate against them. Again, this is totally illegal. But this is what's happening, and I can see that this is the next fight we all have on our hands. No, absolutely. And and so, so that's the thing. We need all the angles we can get in terms of lawsuits. Now, what about the state legislature? Until now, at least from where I sit, um, the Michigan Republicans seem more impotent than Bruce Jenner's you-know-what. Um, there's just like, there's nothing going on there. Um, right. you know, so is that changing at all? Yes. And in fact, it's been really crazy because we've had a Republican legislature and yet I've been just pulling my hair out. Like, come on guys. While I've gotten to know many of them very well, and there's a lot of really good people, um, with the previous speaker of the house and the previous, um, leadership in the house, their hands were very much tied. I think this previous speaker felt like, well, you know, we, we don't want to rock the boat too much. Um, <laughs> well, I'm screaming, come on, rock the boat. But that's exactly what we need to do. But he felt like the governor, well, she'll come around and she'll work with us. Well, the new speaker of the House has taken the handcuffs off and has passed the oversight committee with finding something new every single week. It's something else that they're hitting this governor with, and it has worked. So it has been a beautiful transition of power. It has been beautiful to watch these legislators stand up. The handcuffs have come off. They're encouraged to get aggressive and go after her. And because what they're doing is they're using the budget to control her, they've got her now right where they want her. Did you guys pass the annual budget yet? Not yet, but what okay, they've so that's done important. is they've, they've yes, they, they have not yet, and that's very important because they're telling this governor they have not made any concessions. They've told this governor, though, if you do not eradicate these mandates, if you don't lift these mandates, and, and basically if you don't, they've given her these, these basically, you know, <laughs> no way out, we're going to zero out the budget. You're not getting the funds for the enforcement of what you're trying to do. And so she's backed right off. And her poll numbers, the only thing she responds to is um, polls. And her polls have tanked in Michigan. Even the Democrats are jumping ship. Because, I mean, everybody's still locked down. Businesses have gone under. I mean, you know, kids, we have nine-year-old children committing suicide in Michigan. It is unbelievable the mental health crisis this woman has single-handedly created. So with her tanking poll numbers and the legislature now finally the handcuffs have come off with the new Speaker of the House, and they're getting really aggressive. They're going on the offense against her. And every misstep that she makes, the hypocrisy from this woman is unbelievable. Um, You know, taking her staff flying down to Florida on spring break while we were all told we could not leave the state. We're locked down going to visit her ailing father while our seniors are dying in the nursing homes alone still, sad and afraid and alone. Then she's caught in a restaurant, pushed a whole bunch of tables together with 20 people. Well, we can't. We're not allowed to go out. 
You know, I mean, it's just unbelievable. So what the legislature is doing and what we're doing is we're holding all of this right in front of her. It is front and center on social media. We're not letting it go. She can't get away from it, no matter how hard she tries. Her, her numbers are tanking, and the legislature is holding her budget. Then she just pulled this with Myosha. And so we exposed that, blew it wide open. And we rallied the troops here in Michigan through our numbers with Stand Up Michigan and just flooded that public commentary office. And she just backed off. She's backpedaling so fast, it's hilarious. So now, one of the things I've been pushing as a way of inoculating ourselves, so first got to get above water and cure ourselves right. from this ailment, but to inoculate ourselves from future, um, you know, future exactly. tyranny, uh, we need an effective vaccine against it. So I've been pushing my never again legislation. I don't know if you've seen it, um, but I, I drafted yeah, a, kind of a yeah. sample of it. But, you know, one of the angles that I'm also pushing is statute is nice, but I would like to codify certain things in state constitutions. Have you I don't I'm not familiar with your state laws, but have you looked into doing something similar to Pennsylvania, but even stronger of a, some sort of ballot initiative? We will be doing that. We are working with the legislature right now. Our main thing right now in Michigan is election integrity. And we, because we know all the bills that are being proposed, they will pass the House and they will pass the Senate. But the governor will not sign them. So we are talking with our legislature and we are working on some initiatives that Stand Up Michigan is going to get involved in again. And what we are going to do is we're going to be doing more petition, citizen-led petition initiatives, legislature-driven initiatives. We're working yes. on that first and foremost because if we don't fix that, nothing else is going to matter. So we're going to do that first, and then we are definitely working with the legislature um, to to put something, to put language in our state constitution um, or some sort of amendments. We have not quite gotten that far yet, but we're in, in we're having those talks that we need to do exactly what you're saying because this is not over yet. I strongly believe this is a trial balloon. They floated a lead balloon. But I think they're even surprised at how quickly they were able to control us. Yes. Everybody just masked up. Everybody shut their businesses down, went right along with it. And there were very few of us, like you and me, screaming, shouting from the rooftops, what are you doing? This is a farce. Yep. This is yep. a lie. There's no science or data behind any of this. And no, exactly. So I think... When we have our big celebration, which we'll talk about in a minute here, um, that's exactly what my main talking points are, is people. We have got to have learned something from this. We just destroyed our economy. We, we have unpulled numbers of suicides, mental health issues, um, families that have been destroyed because you all went along and you submitted to tyranny. Shame on you. We have to learn from this and never do this again. Exactly. I know and, something else is coming. And one of the thing I, yeah. things I think you need as part of this, not only this, you need the teeth, um, whether it comes in the form of a ballot initiative or a statute, um, but you need a commission. Every state where Republicans supposedly control the legislature, they need to form a COVID commission. And not just where it emanated from. That's that's even the least important detail of where it <laughs> emanated from. Um, it's what that demonstrates is that they lie to us about everything, about the response to COVID. All of the yeah. things that prompted them to act the way they did, all of the lies they told um, scientifically, legally, and to start holding them accountable, we need a Nuremberg-style, at least if we can't have a trial, at least commission. Okay. Um, 
on what was done wrong yeah. to completely because what what bothers me is even in states redder than Michigan, it's more like, well, okay, it's over, so we don't need to do this anymore. But it's not a recognition that wait a minute, you don't have the power to do it. It's wrong. And before I brought you on, I, I quoted from Scott Gottlieb and the other horrors pushing COVID fascism. They're telling you blatantly that they're going to do this for the flu. They are openly saying that now. Um, uh, he talked about RSV for children, and 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 they're not wrong. Those those ailments are actually more. We dealt with them, and we never had a problem. But they're more substantial to children than COVID. So if you're going to rape the lives of children for COVID, then certainly you have a baseline to do it and a pretext to do it for the flu. So this is something we cannot move on from. We you got to kick them while they're down, and and that's why I mean I, I commend your work. Um, two more things. I want you to tell us about what you're doing over the weekend. I'm sorry I can't attend that event. But before, could you just give a glimpse as to the governor's race? What is going on? Do we have, you know, typically in a midterm election when Democrats are incumbents and also in charge in Washington, they typically lose in the Rust Belt states? But, you know, <laughs> As you guys know very well, you have sucky Republicans everywhere. Um, they're not all created equal. Do you have some good options in the primary? We do, and we're excited and hopeful. The governor's numbers are so low. The devastation that she has caused in the state of Michigan, I would be shocked if she won. We have very good candidates that are stepping forward, and we still are hearing from some who are not announced yet, but they're kind of floating that information out there um, that we're watching. We have several very good, very strong conservative candidates for governor, and we're watching the midterms. I mean, it, we, have, we have the ability right now in Michigan, we are poised to get a conservative governor. The candidates are, it's an incredible candidate list. We have a conservative governor that we believe we will get in. We also are going to be appointing a new secretary of state and attorney general because we've had this wicked trifecta of our governor, attorney general, and secretary of state. And so we have not been able to get anything done. It's like one step forward, two steps back. What one of them doesn't do, the other one will step in. And it's a secretary of state that's had a lot of power. And she's just as wicked as, as Whitmer. All three of them were funded and, by And George then the AG Soros, is like a Hamas person or something. Oh, she's she's awful. She's unbelievable. She is the one who went after Marlena, um, who kept her little pizzeria open and put her in jail and then mocked her. She made a, a statement. She went out and made a public statement about her, how she's no hero. This woman came from communist Poland, escaped communism, which is why she refused to shut down. She recognized it for what it was, and she was screaming, Americans, wake up. This is communism. Do not submit to this. So our attorney general went on the news and had to make a big to-do about Marlena, how she's in jail because she's such a threat to her society. How <laughs> dare she keep making those pizzas? I mean, we are going to take over. We're going to sweep the governor's office, the secretary of state, and the attorney general, and now we are poised to have a supermajority. In, in but I would just warn you guys, so, I would just warn you, um, as I spoke about earlier today with Idaho, uh, you are not a runoff state, so you guys got to really make sure you don't split the vote. I mean, this is something that kills yeah. us in primaries because the rhino yeah. usually has a certain floor based on the power structure and money that they always have. They have a certain floor. Oh, yeah. So, you know, you start running a bunch of conservatives, you're really going to split the mm -hmm. vote. So that's something that does need to be sorted out. Just free advice that that has killed us for years. 
Um, we have yep. gotten slaughtered with that. We need to at some point unite before it's too late, you know, before the filing deadline um, or the creation of the ballots. Um, all right. So what's going on this weekend right. for, for those of our listeners well, who are in Michigan? Yeah, it's actually going to be June 11th. So it's not this weekend, um, but June 11th is a they, we're having a statewide biggest party of the year, biggest party we've ever seen in Michigan, statewide mask burning party. And we're not only igniting those masks, but we're igniting the flames of liberty. And the goal is and this is going to be huge. We're bringing in some national speakers. We've got um, radio stations, managers of radio stations that have reached out to us and said, we want to participate in this. Our listeners are fed up. We're fed up. So it's going to broadcast live. We're going to have music, beer tent, food, you name it. And then all the Stand Up Michigan County chapters around the state are going to be doing their own mass burning parties at the same time. So we're going to have a major kind of a hub where the party's happening, um, Grand Rapids, Michigan, downtown, um, in the parking lot of a big arena. But at the same time, we're going to be lighting the flames of liberty and burning those masks all over the state at the same time simultaneously. So it's going to be one heck of a party. But my my message to people is we're not out of the woods yet. Yes, we have finally turned the corner and we have finally lifted these mandates here in Michigan. However, we need to light the flames of liberty because we need to recognize they're not done. They're coming after us harder with more fury next time. And you need to recognize what you just did was gave away your freedom and your power so fast that next time you need to recognize it when it hits. Now, I'm predicting a climate emergency or something crazy, whatever it is. You need to recognize it so you don't submit again, because we can stop this really fast if we all refuse to comply. As I always say, I'm no doctor or surgeon, but I do know that the difference between taking out 100% of a tumor versus 90% is 100% um, because it is worthless to leave that in there. And and that's the thing. We're right now like the surgeon that we've finally gotten in there. Don't be happy with, oh, man, we got it, we got it. It doesn't – I mean, you leave that in there um, without an ability to prevent it from coming back. It will come back immediately. Um, so strike while the iron's hot. Uh, kick them while they're down. Lawsuits – Ballot initiatives, constitution changes, statutory changes, um, primaries. Primaries are the, are the key. The upcoming Republican primaries are the most important elections of our lifetime. Not the general elections that we say every cycle is the most important. But this time, because it will determine after all these cathartic experiences, did it change us? Are we going to elect the same Rick Snyder type of Republicans? And that's generally been what you've had in Michigan and many other states, or are we actually going to change, elect more people like Janice McGee in Idaho, uh, Ron DeSantis in Florida? Um, there's very few of them, unless you know up, hand, uh, and up front that they're like that. They're not like that. They won't be like that. So um, I don't have an opinion yet on who's running, but you're going to keep us informed. Um, you'll be our Michigan point. Uh, good luck in everything you're doing. And, folks, that is about it for us. We're going to be out Monday in honor of Memorial Day. We'll be back Tuesday, irregular shows. I'll be out with constitutioncoach.com next week. If you want to join us next week, by the way, June 6th is still available. Best defense handgun training in the country. Have a terrific weekend. Make sure to salute a veteran. Till next week, God bless you all, and thank you for listening. 